Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk. Where does it go? Yeah, so mine is on easy mode today. Well, at least for me. So you're going to have to ask a lot of questions because I can go at length about this. Um, So it's easy mode because for years I've worked for a company that helps people downsize and get rid of their junk and um, hold estate sales for them, help them downsize with um, online auctions or, you know, just help them otherwise organize if they need that. Excuse me. Um, and I, by no, I'm never going to use their name because by no means do I want anybody to think that I am speaking as a representative of the company because I have some good, uh, funny stories. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've heard of Sarah's stories about <laughs> stuff and uh, people and stuff. So the que- the question I'm going to ask is, where does your stuff go? All your junk in your house. Where does it go after you downsize, you want to, you know, go live in a van down by the river or you want to, you know, downsize to an apartment because you live in a massive house because you used to have like 50 children and they've all gone off to college. Um, Where does all that stuff go? Or maybe grandma's moving to assisted living and she's just got two generations worth of stuff in her house. Mm -hmm. Where does all that stuff go? You know, when, once you hire an estate sale company, because you're like, well, I have no idea what to do with all this, all of grandma's junk. Like, there's there's no way that I want to put it in my house, because I'm a minimalist. <laughs> there's well, no way. Just, uh, you're not just dealing with the crystal and the china and the couch. It's down to the plastic forks and yes, all the crap in the closets and every single twist tie in the junk drawer yes i'm not a fan of junk drawers by the way the people like i really think that junk drawers become pocket universes because we open the drawer when we're cleaning out houses and there is an unbelievable amount of stuff in junk drawers like i found people's teeth (laughs) just like oh i'm just gonna put my teeth in this drawer right now i'm not chewing so (laughs) all kinds of stuff um i could go on and on you can actually buy junk drawer contents on ebay like there are ebay listings of junk drawers really Mm -hmm. seriously oh yeah and people buy them why does this not surprise me (laughs) because you've been doing this for a long time yeah okay yeah so I feel like I feel like if that's the case I should just really just open the drawer and just dump it all in a box and we should put it on eBay for these people and make the money now that I know that it's not a bad idea although you probably want to make sure there aren't any illegal items in there teeth oh yeah we we find people's um, marijuana all the time Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> it's just it just happens it's like that your house contains your life I feel like houses kind of I mean I'm not like gonna say anything like an animist or anything like that but I feel like houses definitely have personality once you live in them for a while and all your stuff kind of speaks about you and even though maybe I've met this this client once or they stop by and I say hey to them. Like I really get to understand like who they are and what they did by their stuff. It's so strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one. Go ahead. I've only been to one sale that uh, estate sale that Sarah's company was involved in, but there were scissors all over the house. Oh yeah. Scissors. <laughs> well, that's because he tied string on everything. And they were nice scissors. Yeah. It wasn't like, it wasn't terrifying, but it was just dozens of scissors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the number one question I get asked um, when I work at an estate sale, um, when people walk in, they're like, is this person dead? Did they die? 
Is that why you're having a state sale? And actually, I would say now 95% of the time, they're not even dead yet. Like they are just downsizing. They don't want to live in this huge house with all this junk anymore. Mm -hmm. And they've just moved to an apartment. So really these people are still alive and the estate sales are helping them, you know, move to the next step or whatever. Well, that's good, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Taking the bull by the horns before they die instead of leaving it to their kids and brothers and sisters and whatnot to yeah deal with all the twist ties and forks <laughs> um and people ask me all the time well what happens to everything after the mm-hmm. estate sale like what what happens to all that stuff and it really depends on the company um our company we try to donate what we can of course we can't donate everything we do have donation um places that we work with that will come in and help us pack what's left over up and they will actually take it um, themselves and use it in their store. Um, and that's really great. They're really great people, but some, it, it really depends on the estate sale company that you hire. Some of them will actually charge you afterwards to clear the house out. Some of them will charge you, um, We'll actually take a commission if someone comes in and buys the rest of the contents of your house. It just really depends and you really need to read the contract that you have with them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, mostly we try to donate what we can. And obviously you can't donate all those plastic, half used plastic sporks <laughs> and grandma's teeth and the glass eyeball from uncle Edward and the ivory that is questionable and Etc. Etc. Is it illegal to sell ivory? It is illegal to sell ivory. Mm-hmm. You have to have provenance for it. You have to know, like, each step of the way if it's antique, past, you know, like a hundred years or something, because otherwise it was, you know, you can't prove that it wasn't taken off a an elephant or a rhinoceros in in Africa. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So when someone comes to you or or the person that runs the company or right. Not me, my company. Yeah. My boss. Yeah. (laughs) And says, uh, you know, Mildred and and Herb are moving to an assisted living facility and I don't know what to do with their stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd like to sign a contract with you. What's the, what's the step-by-step process you guys go through from somebody showing up to the end of a sale? Okay, so generally what happens is um, they will contact us, either the homeowners will contact us and let us know what's going on, um, or their family will. Mm-hmm. And generally, um, then we'll send our salesperson out and she'll meet with them and she'll kind of give them a rundown and kind of look at their house and, and decide what maybe the best course of action is for them. Um, and then once they've decided, you know, do they want a full estate sale um, because they have that much stuff? Do they want an online auction because they only have a, a few things or just online auction would work better because they live in a community that doesn't allow estate sales. They, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why you do an online auction um, or do they just have basically nothing and we help them, we help them donate it basically. Mm-hmm. That's almost never the case. Most people, in our client area, the baby boomer generation um, have an enormous amount of stuff. And generally they um, need us to have an estate sale or an online auction. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will come in, you know, whenever we're open, generally it's like within a month um, and then start just clearing out the house. And, And depending on how much stuff there is, we will, you know, either if we need to, there's a lot of broken stuff. There's a lot of stuff we can't donate. There's stuff that it's just not worth worthwhile for us to sell. We will either try to donate it or we'll have to trash it. Um, we'll get a dumpster, you know, if we have to. Right. Um, we'll go through stuff. We'll, we'll open every closet. We'll open every drawer. We'll look under the beds. We'll, you know, everywhere you would look basically finding stuff we will go in and take it all out because you have to have it out so that people can buy it right um and then we will organize it the best we can um 
into, you know, like, it's basically setting up in a, a department store in your house. It's kind of cool. That sounds so um, overwhelming. I would not be good at that. <laughs> and we'll price it. We'll price everything. And we price um, based on our own knowledge of the stuff. Mm-hmm. We'll price based on how it's sold on eBay, not what someone wants for it on eBay, but how much it's sold for on eBay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we'll advertise the estate sale. And then people will come the weekend of the estate sale and hopefully buy most of it. <laughs> and then what's left over, we, we have our um, donation, we have our charities come in and they'll take what they can. Um, we'll pack up stuff that we think if there's stuff left over, this is an odd thing. Some stuff works better in a state sale and some stuff works better on online auction. Mm-hmm. If we feel that the stuff can still be sold, we will actually pack it up and take it for an online auction and include it in an online auction that we have. Mm-hmm. And a, a, a lot of the times it will sell. It's really interesting. Like a couple of weeks ago, we had some mink coats that we couldn't even sell for $20 at an estate sale. Um, we're like, well, these will, these will sell. Somebody wants these. Um, cause a lot of people do crafts with them or whatever. Or they collect them. Right. Um, so we took them and we sold them at an online auction like two weeks later. And so these people ended up getting money out of that. So that was nice. That is and nice. then after, yeah. And then we'll dispose of what we have to. Um, we don't like throwing a ton of stuff away, but you know, what else are you going to do with it? It's just, that's just the nature of the culture is that you just collected so much stuff. Like where, where does it go? It right. has to go to, some of it has to go to the landfill, unfortunately. What kind of stuff uh, sells well? What kind of stuff do people have in their houses that other people might actually want nowadays? So if you have, if, you, if you're a baby boomer and you have kids that used to play Dungeons and Dragons and you still have all that 80s era Dungeons and Dragons books and paraphernalia that's in good shape, it sells extremely well. I sold Dungeons and Dragons books to um, some guy that lived in Hong Kong. Um, he bought it off our online auction. He paid not only a, a lot of money for the book, but he also paid a lot of money for me to ship it all the way to him in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's wanted all over the world. Old video game consoles, they sell like crazy from the, you know, 80s, early 90s. Um, they're, they they do really well. Um, old toys from, you know, baby boomer generation all the way to the eighties. They, they do pretty well as well. Um, dips and like doodads and stuff from the kitchen. If that still works, people love pots and pans. If they're in good shape, you know, anything you'd need to set up a house, if it's in good shape does really well. And then what about stuff that nobody seems to really want that a lot of people have in their houses? Is there like common stuff that nobody wants? So yeah, grandmas, grandmas and grandpas from the baby boomer generation tend to have Waterford crystal. It's not really worth anything anymore. Madame Alexander dolls. They're mm-hmm. not worth anything anymore. Um, the most China, most China sets Except for a few exceptions, like Norotaki, Rosenthal. There's a couple of others I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. Um, they're pretty much worthless now. And it's, you know, it's nobody is, is in the generations after baby boomers are wanting to cart around Waterford Crystal, etc. Like fancy china sets that they don't use every day anymore. It's just you don't have a separate china set for special occasions, really. Um, People just don't really do that anymore. Um, Sterling sets, you know, grandma and grandpa might have had a sterling set with their initials on it. Um, You know, beautiful sterling set that you would use for special occasions. That's just scrap value at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess where, uh, 
how could people best prepare in their homes for future downsizing? Like even, you know, I'm only 32, but I like the idea of thinking about, will I need this when I'm 62, when I'm 82, will my kid want this? You know, she's two years old, so she wants everything, but she wants to break it all. So it's right. Is she going to want it when she's my age? Right. Um, that's a hard question because people like what they like. And I don't, I don't really want to be judgmental about the stuff people have in their house because, you know, I have stuff too. I have stuff that I like, but at the same time, when I buy stuff, um, and because I've seen so many houses that are just filled to the rafters with stuff that people don't even look at for years, you know, the, the China set that grandma has, she, you know, it's, it's got six inches of dust on it because nobody used it. Mm-hmm. She used the, you know, plates she got from Target. Those are the ones in her cabinet she's been using. So I think that um, a good thing to think about is if you haven't really looked at it and you haven't really used it, consider giving it to a charity um, sell it yourself online. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, maybe talk to someone who um, does that as well. Like we, we, we will sometimes take boxes from people. They, they don't want to do a full estate sale, but they want to include stuff on our online auction. We'll do that for people too. I mean, there are people around that do that kind of stuff. Just, just think about if you're not using it, um, for long periods of time. And of course there's things that you use once a year and you still need them like your ice scraper, like by all means, don't get rid of your ice scraper just because you don't use it more than, you know, five times a year. But <laughs> you're talking about things like, uh, the piano I bought from that estate sale, a little toy piano for kids that, uh, they had never used and was new in box, but it was probably 20 years old. Yeah, it was 20, it was more than 20 years old, probably. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's a good thing that your your daughter can get a use out of it. Yes. That's fantastic. But the, it was in a closet in a box, like we fished it out. And it was like, I had to like, scrape all the dust off of the box. It never been unboxed before. It was just sitting in the house, you know, like, think about that stuff. Do you want your kids to have to you know, go through all that stuff and, and get rid of it and have right. to do like a crazy amount of work to get rid of it. Cause not everybody can afford to, um, to, uh, hire an estate sale company. You know, some, a lot of people are just like, we have to do it ourselves. We just don't have the money for it. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking about the stuff that's currently in our crawl space that we haven't looked at in three years it might be a good time to uh, either utilize or perhaps just get rid of it. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing myself. Um, I, I've been slowly selling selling stuff that, you know, I'm like, I'm never going to look at this. Why do I own this thing? Yeah, exactly. And maybe like when I go shopping, I'm like, do I just, am I, is my brain overwhelmed by all the, all the lovely things and the happy feelings that I feel when I look at this thing? Um, and that's all. And when I get home, I'm just like, why, the, why the heck did I buy this? Why, why do I have this? This is crazy. <laughs> uh, last week, uh, maybe a few weeks ago, I bought this crystal growing kit. Oh, I've wanted to get one of those. Yeah. So I bought this crystal growing kit because I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be so much fun. I never did this when I was a kid. I'm going to do it. It's still in the box. Like I'm, I'm, I'm never going to use it. I really think I just need to give it to some kids so that they can enjoy it. <laughs> or you and I could do it together next time we hang out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but it's a good point to think about what you're purchasing. And, yeah. And kind of shop your own stash sometimes. I think that's Mm -hmm. a good thing to do. So because I have such an interest in the stuff people buy and the sociology of stuff, I just have this fascination with stuff, I think, and why people get stuff and why I get stuff. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing for me to think about. Um, 
I was looking up the differences between um, the like what baby boomers versus millennials versus, <clears throat> excuse me, post millennials buy, and I I find the I find the things that the generations think is great and the things that they buy really fascinating. So of course the baby boomers from, uh, you know, people put them all over the place. Generations are so weirdly defined. Mm -hmm. Baby boomers, I think are from 46 to 64 or something around there. I don't know. It's from I think like it even goes past that uh, to like 68, 69, but I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there also, anyway, they're the late forties to this early sixties, maybe mm -hmm. it's baby boomerish. Um, and it's interesting, this stuff that, you know, of course their parents were the silent generation, you know, that that's their, the parents that went through the great depression, you know, you talk about grandma or great grandma she kept everything she's got everything from you know like she could basically she was like okay well you know if the bombs come post-apocalyptic scenario uh, we can live forever because i have canned every beat that is in the world and it's all in my cellar <laughs> we have all the beats you know uh, grandma knows how to shoot a squirrel in case we need to live she's got all the twist ties so she could make us a shelter she is ready <laughs> yeah and so the baby boomer generation grew up with that but they also grew up with the um unprecedented wealth as well mm -hmm. so the post-war um wealth and um i think really the more consumerist materialist society kind of took off then where plastic started being in everything like little toys you know people started advertising a lot more on tv because tv was a thing so they just collected a lot more stuff right and it also uh i mean shopping has become an integral part of the u.s economy absolutely absolutely and that's when you get into debt like whereas before you know grandma from the silent generation, she, you know, she can tell you she bought her house, you know, 75 years ago for $2. Two, I'm, I'm exaggerating. Yes. It, it wasn't $2 and 50 cents, but it is an unbelievably low amount of money. It was $7. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. It's Which in today's low. money is $3 million. Exactly. It's worth $3 million now and grandma now lives in luxury retirement living. But anyway, <laughs> but you know, I, I feel like the millennials and I, I am part of, you know, I'm either an elder, depending on how you define this, I'm either in Gen X or elder millennial. I don't know. It I'm doesn't elder, matter to I'm me. an elder millennial, I think. <laughs> okay. Um, but the millennials, you know, everybody talks about how they're ruining everything. I don't think that's the case. I think that it's just all coming to a head. Like, all of the all of the stuff, all of the junk that, you know, we were just producing and producing and producing. And millennials are kind of seeing it and being like, you know... I don't really feel like I want to go to Applebee's and get something I could make at home. <laughs> I don't really feel like, <laughs> I don't really feel like I want to buy all this plastic junk. Maybe I just want furniture that lasts. And since I have to move in two years, I want furniture that will survive my move and still look good. And they're also dealing with the, you know, seeing that their parents' house is just unbelievably full of stuff grandma's house was un unbelievably full of stuff they're like maybe that's not what i want and of course there's the they really can't afford a lot of stuff either because a lot of them are thousands of dollars in in debt depending on how old they are yep or yeah. they graduated from college in 2008 and uh, happened to graduate college in michigan and uh, Michigan was hit the second hardest by the uh, enormous in, uh, global economic collapse. Mm -hmm. That might have been me. <laughs> I was like, I don't know anybody that fits that description. <laughs> you do. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> and I was so broke for so long uh, that I couldn't even get dental work done. Uh, yeah. 
you know, I couldn't pay for a haircut. I could have probably wiggled money around to pay for a haircut or something like that, but right. it was the type of thing where I needed to have a place to live and food to eat and a phone because having phone access, even though people like to poo-poo cell phones, I, I moved around a lot. So a cell phone was a much more reliable right. uh, method of communication than a, a phone, a landline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I'm, I had plenty, meaning I never went hungry. I, uh, was never truly, truly broke. I was just, so I, I can't imagine having two sets of plates. Exactly. <laughs> when I couldn't get a filling in my teeth. <laughs> right. I couldn't afford it. It's so fascinating. It's just, um, and you know, millennials, um, Younger than the baby boomers, they moved around a lot more, and they still do. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, we're, we're still – I don't know where to place myself. It doesn't matter. But the younger generations have moved around a lot more, whereas, you know, your, your parents might have moved twice. Um, the millennials have moved around five or six times. They've changed jobs. They, you know, they just – as far as I can tell just from my, my friends, they follow the money. They have to. They yeah, have to move for the money. Exactly. They have to move for their careers. You know, they have to move to a place that is, is better just, you know, just to survive. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's better just because they're happier there. It, it, it doesn't, but you don't want to take two sets of plates everywhere with you. No, especially one set where if you ding one or dent one or scratch one or break one, the set is now ruined. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I, 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 I'm curious as to, you know, when generation, I guess it's called generation Z or post millennials, whatever. I, I don't know. Um, I'm curious to see how this plays out with them. Um, just, just the glut of stuff. And, you know, at one point it's a great thing because, you know, all the baby boomers are downsizing. And so that brings about industry of its own, like my own, um, the one that I work in or, and also if you're looking for stuff, by all means, buy secondhand. There's Mm -hmm. so much stuff. Like you don't have to buy new if you don't want to, you can get great old furniture that is in great shape. Um, that is not built that way anymore. Um, for really cheap equipment for hobbies. Uh, I buy a lot of my hobby stuff secondhand because mm-hmm. a lot of people take up a hobby and then stop and you yeah. can buy a whole setup for yes. a lot of different hobbies. Yes. Yes. And we, we will go into houses with people, you know, that quilting is a big thing for um, people. They'll they'll get into quilting and then stop doing quilting for whatever reason. And we will have so much fabric um, when we do estate sales that it's just like, okay, well, buy a bag. Just buy a bag of, of fabric for, you know, pennies on what you would pay for it at mm-hmm. larger retailers. So, yeah. Cool. Fun. Very interesting. Very, uh, <laughs> it's a very, it's interesting that it's, uh, it's such a broad topic in that it touches so many people's lives because we all have some kind of stuff. Absolutely. And like I said, I don't want to be judgmental about it, but at the same time, there is so much stuff that is unbelievable. It is unbelievable the stuff that is just pouring out of people's houses. Well, and you're kind of just saying, hey, try to use it. And if you don't want to use it, maybe find someone who does. Exactly. That's about it. Yeah. Yes, that is it. <laughs> well said. Mm-hmm. And grandma's teeth, I don't know what to do with those. Um, I bet you could sell those on eBay. Really? I wonder if there's, that, yeah, I'm sure there's like a medical curiosity community that likes No, that's right. Stuff. I love the curiosity community. I love the oddities and curiosities. I love those people because it's, you know, like grandma's teeth or an old glass eye or, you know, gold fillings. We sold gold fillings a couple of weeks ago. That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I'm like, great. Good. More power to you. Exactly. That's great. 
<laughs> Somebody's going to use it, which is excellent. Yeah. I, I do have one last question. Uh, yes. What percentage, I don't know if you can even average this because everybody's kind of different, but in a house where there isn't a lot of, say, water damage or mold or dust, someone's kept their house moderately clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, what percentage of stuff can you sell versus donate versus throw away? Just a, kind of a loosey-goosey. It depends on the stuff they kept. Generally, houses that um, are well-kept um, tend to do very well um, mm-hmm. because people walk in and they don't, you know, smell mold, smell smoke. You know, the cat didn't throw up on everything, you know, <laughs> um, and they and people can tell. People can definitely tell. And so that stuff tends to go pretty well. And we can sell a lot of that. You know, everybody's got a junk drawer, though. Everybody's got, like, a weird porn stash that we can't sell, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't sell that stuff. But I would say in those houses that are in better shape, um, that they took care of their stuff, that they actually seem to care, um, we can sell most of it. I would say, well, if you want a percentage, I would say at least 90% of it. Wow. Yeah. So basically try to, try to dust regularly and maybe (laughs) stuff you have. Or at least hire some, I I mean, if you can, I understand if you can, but like, just try to take care of your stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and it's better for you to live in a house that's not crammed with smoke or dust or mold Mm -hmm. you know but you know you do you (laughs) that's true yeah we're not telling you what to do we're just telling you where things go exactly exactly all right cool uh this week i'm getting real sciencey oh i love science but it's going to be kind of broad sciencey because if i got into the nitty-gritty of this topic i i I might fall asleep. My cat's already asleep. You might fall asleep. And then we would just be recording dead air. Uh, I mean, that, that might be fun, but (laughs) it'd be me snoring. (laughs) Uh, So this week I chose the topic of fire. Where does fire go? So, and I'm not necessarily talking about like the spread of fire during a wildfire. Although apparently wildfires spread much faster going uphill, which I would not have guessed. Fire Uh, goes uphill? Faster, anyway, at least. Huh. Uh, So where does fire go when it's extinguished? Where do the bulk of, say, candles go when they're burned? Where does the bulk of a log go when it's burned in a fireplace? Hmm. Uh, And I'm specifically going to talk today about oxidative fires, the uh, fires that require oxygen as a uh, sort of a feeding component of what fire is uh, because there are non-oxidative fires that can mm-hmm. exist. Uh, jet fuel is an example, uh, mm-hmm. but that is so chemically complicated that even my, I almost got a minor in chemistry in college self uh, didn't really feel like untangling it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll talk about what fire is and then where it goes. Uh, so awesome. Yeah, I got this idea because it was my daughter's birthday recently, and she really loves blowing out candles. And I had kind of a loose idea of what fire is before that, but I was like, hmm, it would be a good topic for the podcast. Uh, excellent. Yeah, excellent. And yay! Happy birthday, baby girl. <laughs> yay! New years. Yay! Yay! We, we kept her alive this long. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so fire is uh, actually a chemical reaction. Uh, a lot of the sources that I found call it more of an event than a thing. I don't know that I entirely agree with that, uh, but that's okay. Uh, it's a chemical reaction between a heat source. Mm-hmm. And so one thing to know is the heat source that starts the fire is not, that's a helpful way to start the chemical reaction, but fires make their own heat obviously. Uh, So they have to have sufficient heat to continue the chemical reaction, sufficient oxygen, and sufficient fuel. So that's what makes up a fire, heat, oxygen, and fuel, which makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, yeah, because when you when you have a campfire, you have to make sure that you don't throw a ton of branches on it, because otherwise you'll smother the fire, even though it's got a lot of fuel. Right. Uh, and you can add uh, catalysts to increase the rate of reaction, uh, to increase the heat of the reaction, uh, like acetylene is a good example. Uh, you can add acetylene to just a regular combustion fire, and then you get acetylene torches for welding, and that's like some of the hottest fire humans have created. And so uh, you can add a catalyst, but there's sort of, it's considered sort of a fire triangle of heat, oxygen, and fuel. Okay. Uh, in proper amounts to create a chemical reaction. Uh, one note that I think is kind of funny about oxidative reactions is they include fire and rusting and uh, digestion. So those are all in the same family of reactions, burning, rusting, and digestion. They're all just at different rates and of different things. Huh. So like a fire is just really fast rusting. <laughs> sort of really so yeah it's not the same you know constituents oh it's it's oxidative damage i see okay yeah exactly you don't it, it's not something that you necessarily would think about being sort of the same type of reaction but they are uh, yeah okay so flame is the visible portion of fire and it includes carbon dioxide water oxygen and nitrogen that's it so fire is really simple, uh, chemically speaking, in terms of its components. Now, what actually happens when fire goes out? So there's a few different ways you can stop a fire. Uh, you can remove the fuel source. So you run out of candle wax, logs, paper, grass, etc. That makes sense. So you're removing that component of the triangle, fuel. You can remove uh, the oxidizer. So you can actually throw too many branches on the fire and you remove the flow of oxygen. That's a form of snuffing. You can snuff a candle with a little candle snuffer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, uh, we had one of those as a Christmas decoration. I was like, by the way, you can find a lot of estate sales. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do they sell well? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, candles can also, if, if a room is not well ventilated or uh, if a fire is enclosed, candles can actually uh, consume their candles and fires and like, coal fires and whatever, can consume more oxygen around themselves than is uh, available to be replenished. So they can actually snuff themselves. Uh, oh, okay. Because it's a chain reaction, it's going to keep going until something's gone. And so... It'll use up the oxygen. It'll snuff itself. Uh, you can remove heat uh, because the flame needs a continuous heat source. It kind of becomes its own. Uh, but using water or blowing out a candle are both ways of removing the heat. I would have thought they were snuffing. Yeah. Removing the oxygen. But it's actually that the water absorbs the heat from the flame fast, or for an enough amount of time that the chemical reaction stops. And when you blow out a candle, it sort of like moves the heat away from the fuel source. I'm, I'm talking a lot about candles because uh, one of the sources of my information was uh, a really neat, the chemistry of the candle uh, talk uh, that was mm -hmm. done way back when that we'll link to in the show notes. But uh, using water or air is actually removing the heat, which I, mm -hmm. I would have thought it was removing oxygen personally. Or uh, with chemical fire extinguishers, you can use, uh, stop the chain reaction. You slow the chain reaction down enough that it stops happening. Okay. So that's how a flame goes out, and then it just sort of becomes its constituent parts again. Uh, the heat goes away, and so you've just got the oxygen and the fuel left. Mm -hmm. Or you remove the available oxygen, and then you've just got the heat, which... Uh, it, eventually runs itself out as well. Uh, and the fuel, so you've got the logs or candles or whatever left, uh, or you stop the chain reaction and then you uh, 
you know, you just have chemical fire extinguisher stuff all over the place. So and it's really to, like, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Sorry. So it's really like a three-legged stool. Like you just really cut one of the legs off and you just can't, it, it right. doesn't work anymore. Exactly. Uh, okay. And most of the ways you think of to put out a fire are different legs of the stool, which is interesting. Right. I, I would have thought when I started this, I was surprised at that. I would have thought that you would have mostly just worked on, you know, sawing through one leg, but you're, you're working on all of them. Oh. Uh, and so there's also leftover products as a flame burns. And then as it burns itself out, there's soot, which is incompletely combusted fuel. Uh, and when you blow out a candle, that sort of smell, the specific blown out candle smell is, uh, leftover vaporized wax that has not yet been combusted that's just the specific smell of unvaporized or a vaporized wax that is uncombusted oh uh which i didn't know uh let's let's look at my notes see if there's anything else oh i copied and pasted this from wikipedia uh yay wikipedia yeah i i donate to them every month you should too yes not necessarily you specifically, Sarah, but everybody should. I do anyway. They're great. Yeah. Uh, the unburnable solid remains of a combustible material left after a fire is called a clinker if the ment- melting point is below the flame temperature so that it fuses and then solidifies as it cools. And it's okay. called ash if the melting point is above the flame temperature. Uh, I thought that was important to state, although that's very specific. Tell me what clinker is again, because I like that word and, and I got stuck on that word and I, I liked it. I know. I like it too. And I think it's a lot in uh, British English to refer to things. Uh, okay. Maybe just kind of junk. I think it's junk. Uh, but combustible material left after yeah. a fire, if the melting point is below the flame temperature. Okay. Uh, so that makes some sense for things like uh, if you have say some, you know, tallow in a fire, a cooking fire or whatever, uh, Mm -hmm. it'll mix with the ash, but it's still fat or stuff like that. That's my guess. Isn't isn't that how you make soap? Yes. Well, that was how you like first made soap when people poured water on fire. Then they were like, hey, bubbles. Hey, what's this? I think about that a lot, actually. The early human exploration of phenomenon around the natural world yes and just and how are we how are we still alive i mean really like it's unbelievable that the human species is still alive we experimented so much and we're all still here it's pretty amazing yeah and with just like what's that thing in these ashes what if i wash my hair with it (laughs) right what if i wash my clothes with it Mm -hmm. hey (laughs) <laughs> you know it's it's, it's a th- I'm, you know they did other things with it that they didn't right like just nobody actually continued to it? do i'm sure they tried to eat <laughs> <laughs> let's try to eat it and uh, no that's not good <laughs> right uh just the the experimentation in humanity and uh i think about that a lot as like who came up with this? Was it was it sort of a, a diffuse phenomenon that many people started to understand? Or was it like one guy did it, or one gal did it, and then everyone was like, that's brilliant, and they just spread it? Right. I don't know. It really depends, doesn't it? Because at some point, the human race was so small that it really could have just, because of various factors, it could have really just been one one person figured it out, and like like ten of their friends were like, "You're, you know what? You're a genius." And then they they all started doing it, and it just diffused from that. Mm-hmm. You know, because we reached a we reached a bottleneck at some point. I thought. And as the human race, and so yeah, there's a that the genetic bottleneck that they think mm-hmm. happened, right? I don't remember how far back. That's actually a good segue right there to my fire fun facts. 
Uh, now that I've told you where fire goes, because it's kind of a brief one. I could go much more in depth about things like Flashpoint, but right. that's I, I could have minored in chemistry in college if I had taken the labs, but I didn't want to. So I don't want to get super in depth mm-hmm. about the chemistry of fire today. <laughs> Very cool. Um, oxidative fire was not possible in the on Earth until around 420 million years ago because there was insufficient atmospheric oxygen before then. Really? Uh, yeah. And the, one of the greatest pollution events on this planet is the oxygenation of the atmosphere. Uh, it changed the world so fundamentally. If you think about it, there weren't, you know, there weren't land fires. There weren't oxidative combustion fires. There weren't, there wasn't rust. There was, you know, it was the, the, we're so used to oxidative reactions nowadays and they're just so integrated in life because humans use fire every day, even if they're not just lighting a match, not all, not every single human on the planet, but the bulk of them. And it was not possible to the oxygenation of the atmosphere, which didn't happen until algae showed up and started photosynthesizing. Uh, And so it it you know it it changed the earth completely which is very interesting that's amazing yeah uh and then in terms of human use of fire uh i have found multiple numbers of when humans started using fire regularly there's some evidence of cooking 2 million years ago or maybe 1 million years ago or maybe only 100,000 years ago uh, so okay. there's contention about that, which makes sense because paleontology is a very rough and ready science. And yeah. there's a, a, you know, a lot of things about when things happened are, this is the best we've got right now. Absolutely. Uh, and so, uh, once humans started using fire regularly and the use was widespread, it really changed our ability to stay up and do things at night uh, because of light sources. Mm -hmm. Uh, It changed our ability to preserve food. It changed our ability of what we could eat because certain foods are really not that palatable or digestible if they're not cooked. Right. It's been a big component of human life. Right. Uh, for a very long time. Uh, and we use fire every day. Uh, internal combustion engines, thermal power stations, scented candles. Uh, you know, fire is a part of most people's lives. Right. We're not specifically cooking over a campfire type of thing. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, this was fun facts about fire for kids. Uh, that I found. Uh, and, and not are, just like Beavis and Butt-Head, fire, 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 no. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, although it's interesting, uh, I just Googled fun facts about fire because I wanted to see what the fun facts about fire were. There are not a lot of fun facts about fire because it's extraordinarily destructive. Right. Uh, and it's really dangerous. And I actually think firefighters are some of the hardest working people on the planet. And I they- mean, just think about it. Like they, they will go into a burning building to save your dog. That's amazing. Yeah. Yay for firefighters. Thank yes. you. Thank you all. Every single one of you. And wildland <laughs> firefighters, smoke jumpers. That is, yes. that's a real job. That is a job in reality. Uh, that's not that's not podcasters. That's real work. So fire jumpers are the firefighters that actually jump into forest fires and put them out. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, scary. I, uh, this is an aside, but I think this podcast is going to mostly end up being asides, and that's. <laughs> but okay. I used to work on an exotic plant management team in. Washington State, and uh, we would stay in all kinds of housing while we were traveling, and firefighter housing was pretty common uh, because the different national parks would have housing available for firefighters 
just kind of all the time if needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one place we stayed in where they had a video, they had a few videos and a, a television, which was kind of nice because uh, they didn't usually have televisions. Uh, you'd think I was working in like the 70s or something, but it was really uh, 2010. <laughs> uh, and then had videos about some of the major wildfires that oh, had wow. and and firefight interviews of the wildland firefighters and what their experiences were like and some of these people had been in a wildfire and had to just wrap one of those flame retardant silver blankets i think they're mylar or something around themselves and like hunker down and wait for the fire to get past them Oh my gosh. And and then they're being interviewed on <laughs> on this video from the 90s and I just I can't imagine. It's I I have a lot of respect for fire as a destructive source. It's Absolutely. very useful, but man. That's a type of person that's very different from the type of person I am and I respect it. How terrifying would that be? And you just have to, you know, hope that you don't burn to death. Yeah. And some of them did. And these firefighters were very upset about the uh, colleagues that they lost in that fire. But Absolutely. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so back to the fun facts. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a coal seam. Apparently, and I read this on the internet, so it's probably true. Uh, a coal seam about 140 <laughs> miles north of Sydney, Australia, that has been burning for possibly 500,000 years. Just constantly Whoa. burning. It's just on fire? Like, it's just been on fire? Yeah, it has just had enough oxygen, heat, and fuel to just keep on going. So do people go there to, like roast marshmallows that's like you know that's where we go we just roast marshmallows there or am i no i okay interesting to find out (laughs) you know what we we should take a field trip to the coal seam in australia well and i think there's uh i think there's one in pennsylvania that's still burning really yeah that would be a less expensive field trip but it would be an interesting one to go to because sometimes fire just doesn't go away so right. where does it go? Sometimes it just doesn't go away. Uh, you know, there's that joke in The Simpsons about the longest burning tire fire in America or something like that in mm-hmm. Springfield. And <laughs> if you have enough fuel, oxygen, and heat, and the fire doesn't consume itself, because we, we tend to think of fires as being so rapid and destructive that they consume everything. But if there's a balance between the oxygen available the fuel available and the amount of heat produced, then it can just keep going. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's like volcanoes. Yeah. Huh. So I, I, I feel like I might've just sounded um, a little bit, well, I don't really know that much about coal. So I'm wondering if the Pennsylvania coal seam fire was in a coal mine and, and it's, but- just caught on fire i believe it is okay yeah so i hope hope nobody died like when it caught on fire that'd be terrible yeah i'll look that up because i just remembered that as i was preparing this episode Mm -hmm. and i didn't look at it so i'll do an update in the next one but i think that's another for real job is coal miners i mean that's for real like going down and mining coal Mm -hmm. in a hole in the ground that's serious yeah it is hard work Mm -hmm. uh another fun fact spontaneous combustion is real uh really it is uh some fuel sources can generate their own heat like for by rotting uh decomposition is slow oxidation Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's it is there's enough to decompose and there's you know a nice balance of fuel that there becomes enough heat that fires can start apparently pistachios have so much natural oil and are so prone to heat generating fat decomposition that the international maritime dangerous goods code regards them as dangerous really yeah so uh 
watch out for those <laughs> for those delicious little pistachios. And I, I knew this about um, haystacks. I knew that haystacks can spontaneously right. combust. Right. And compost heaps and even piles, and this might be, you know, topical for your work, uh, piles of old magazines and newspapers can burst into mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, so recycling is not a bad idea. Um, one thing that a friend of mine in high school found out is that if you park your car, your internal combustion engine, over dry leaves in the fall, or maybe dry grass, uh, you can start a fire. So maybe don't do that. <laughs> so it makes me think of the the um, the brothers that lived in was it oh there's New York they're really famous they're famous um, brothers that were just were hoarders. Was that booby trapped house? Yeah, I I'm not sure it was booby trapped, but it was like there were they had so many newspapers mm-hmm. that. They a fire started and one of unfortunately one of them couldn't get out. Oh, but geez. it was, yeah, because it was so hoarded. Yeah. Um, but it was just like when someone would describe it, it was just newspapers, floor to ceiling newspapers, and they don't know how the fire started. But now that you say that, I'm like, I'm wondering if like just the just the heat from all the fires and who knows, like maybe they had a lamp going so they could read their newspapers and (laughs) (laughs) that's how it started. I don't know. Or it just got, you know, if there's water damage and something gets wet, microbial activity can start. And then once it starts, it's, you don't clean it up, it's hard to stop. And then the decomposition got so bad. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it makes this- me think of the the X Files episode with the spontaneous combustion. Like I've always wondered if spontaneous human combustion was really real. Some people like no. Some people like yes. So I'm wondering if you eat enough pistachios. <laughs> <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> I was thinking That's gang- why. I'm wondering if gangrenous flesh could get hot enough. Really? Enough fat because like like it said with the pistachios, they have natural oil and so prone to heat generating fat decomposition. Because uh, to get a little chemical, when you're breaking bonds, yeah, uh, that's not when, those are typically endothermic reactions, so they, they don't generate heat. But when you're mm-hmm. forming bonds, that's when you generate, tend to generate heat. That's a very loose, broad chemical <laughs> description. Um, so if, and I don't know a ton about gangrene, but I wonder if that, cause I don't, I, I've been skeptical about combustion cause it sounds an awful lot like someone just went to sleep smoking and lit themselves on fire, but, uh, maybe it does have to do with fat decomposition hmm. and a lot, there are a lot of infections that can cause flesh to rot and flesh isn't just muscle tissue or skin there's a lot of fat involved in humans even a thin human you're 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 cushioning basically it cushions everything right and it keeps you warm Mm -hmm. uh so i have one more fun fact that is actually a a fun fact and it might be (laughs) it might be i mean this has been fun to me but (laughs) yeah they're very interesting facts but they're some of them are kind of depressing um but back in the day when horses pulled fire engines, fire stations were tended to be equipped with spiral staircases so the horses would not try to, try to climb the stairs into the living quarters. <laughs> and I'm just thinking about a horse with those little blinders on and, you know, all that nice brass tack just mm-hmm. like sneaking up a spiral staircase to try to eat the bedding. <laughs> maybe he's cold and he wants to snuggle yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so fire is a chemical reaction if it's extinguished it falls into its constituent parts and sometimes it can just go on if there are enough uh, sources of oxygen fuel and heat Mm -hmm. wow clean up your newspapers that's really cool clean up your newspapers please. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just in general, please do that. (laughs) But also so that your house doesn't catch on fire. 
actually that could be our little reuse corner because you can use newspapers to clean windows and mirrors. Uh, they are apparently very effective with either cleaner or just even newspaper and water at uh, smudge and smear free mm -hmm. window and mirror cleaning. Yeah, if you, you've ever watched the, the British show, um, How Clean Is Your House? I love that show. I know, they're so funny. Um, they, they will often use newspapers and it's either alcohol or, you know, some, some, kind, of, some kind of easily attained cleaner in, mm -hmm. throughout your house. And they'll use newspapers on windows for, you know, streak-free finish because the newspaper, you would think the newsprint would come off, it doesn't. Um, and it's lint free. There's no lint on newspapers. So, you know, you just use it on your windows or whatever. And it, you don't get all those linties from your paper towels. Yeah, Good I thing. actually should do that because our windows are filthy because Anna, we, we only, I will only allow her to paint outside and uh, mm -hmm. that doesn't stop her from banging on the big glass windows when she wants to go inside. So paint <laughs> Or you could just, like, give her house paint and let her paint the house. <laughs> Maybe, like, one streak and handprints, like, all, how how tall is she? Like, two feet tall? Like, three feet tall. <laughs> three yeah. feet tall, just three feet up from on the house. <laughs> let, give the, give the goat, give the goat some of the paint, too. And oh, see man. <laughs> She'd probably get all upset about it being on her nose and just like freak out and headbutt the house and stuff. <laughs> well, Fantastic. fire and your stuff. That's where it is. And we have had people like contact us and they're just so overwhelmed with all their stuff. They're like, well, I I've just considered just lighting a match. And I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> Let's sell it instead. Yeah. It's please don't commit arson. It's very damaging and dangerous and often tragic. Yeah. Someone tried at, I just remembered this. Oh man. When I lived in a townhouse in uh, North Carolina. So the last place we lived before we bought our current house. Uh, the one of the neighbors tried to burn his family alive in his house. Oh my gosh! In the morning, and he, uh, we all. I, I looked outside and I was like, "Oh, it's foggy." And then I looked outside an hour later and I was like, "It's foggier." That doesn't make any sense. So I look out <laughs> and there's a house on fire and all the neighbors are watching it. And they did a huge amount of damage to the neighboring houses. Thankfully, no one was even home, so nobody got hurt. This guy was not all there mentally. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully, that makes you a not very effective arsonist. Uh, but anyway, uh, we got to meet all the neighbors, which was nice. But it's, it's so damaging, and I think people either don't care or don't think about how much damage they can do to their own property, to other people's property. Mm-hmm. And then you usually don't, you know, end up getting what you want, thankfully, anyway. Mm -hmm. And then a bunch of firefighters had to come out and risk their necks to put out this fire because this guy just decided that he was responsible for the lives of his family. That's not, that's not acceptable to me. Yeah, he's, he's mentally unwell. Mm-hmm. Did his, did his family survive? Oh, yeah. They, they weren't even home. Okay. He had tried something <laughs> similar before, and so the wife took the kids and left. But So that's oh, how deranged he was, is that it wasn't even like a cold, calculated plan. He was just like, I'm going to get him, and lit his house on fire. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad no one was hurt. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of property damage, but, you know, it's better that people are alive because, you know, stuff is stuff. <laughs> yeah. And we probably, a lot of us have either too much of it or just stuff we should, stuff we should use more. I'm not going to say too much. Mm -hmm. 
as I sit with all my crafting supplies surrounding me. <laughs> everyone has a thing I think everyone has something mm -hmm. even if you're like I am a minimalist but everyone has something that they have this affinity for I've noticed mm -hmm. and this just like fascinates them and just want to collect it everybody has something it's probably a I have a plant I have a plant issue I really do <laughs> <sighs> I just really just want to live in a greenhouse. <laughs> uh, that sounds awful to me. So good luck. <laughs> right. I'll visit you in your greenhouse, but. <laughs> and I actually don't, but I just, there's something about plants that I just, I want house plants. And every time I come across them and by the way, I come across them at people's houses and I feel bad for them because they're abandoned. And if we can't sell them for whatever reason, I will take them home. Oh, I give that's them nice. a good home. You're like a, you're like a plant rescue. Yeah, I know. And I need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah. I think that's as good a time to end as any. We should probably yes. come off, up with a sign off at some point. <laughs> Where does it go? And here is where all the junk in the estate sale house goes. And where does fire go? There it is. There it is. Now there, you know. There it goes. That should be the end. There it goes. There it goes. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs>